What a blessing to be with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 15 verses. Let's look into the text together. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and, and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do, do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in, in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and, and, and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him? They have not believed in. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. May God add God's blessing to the reading God's word. Hey, church, words matter. Words matter. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Hogwash. I remember very well. Well, let me start with this application, and I'm, I'm a little afraid to do this, but I'm going to do it because let me tell you some words that seemingly don't matter. My words, when I say family, we are not getting a cat. Those words don't seem to matter because they keep talking about a cat. But I don't want a cat. Now they're talking about two cats. Why on earth would they think that bringing up two cats would move me further down the get a cat road. But I, being a terrible, terrible father, according to Hattie, <laughs> who only wants a cat, do realize that apparently my words do matter because this is a big decision for our family and that we all need to come to consensus on. And apparently I'm the only one that's not yet down, all the way down the let's get a cat road. So I'm going to try this morning to say some words that do matter. And Harriet, 
we can get a cat. <laughs> oh, dear. Even though I would rather wedge a toothpick under my big toenail and kick a wall. So let it be a cat. I'll update you in a few weeks. I remember very well my sixth grade uh, teacher, who I really liked, but this one day she looked at me and called me a nerd. And I remember it right to my face. Now, I don't, I don't think that was a fair assessment, actually. I think I was a pretty cool sixth grader, but anyway... And I'm not sure exactly what she meant by that or why she felt the need to say it. But everybody has bad days and they make mistakes, and I I sure do. But as it is, I remember that day very well because words do matter, right? It was in that same classroom that my friends Jason and Dwayne, I'll never forget this, they were sitting there and they were sixth grade, so they were coloring. I'm not sure what the assignment was that had them coloring. But they were coloring, and, and Dwayne was, well, he was doing a little bit better job than, than Jason on whatever they were doing. And somebody in the class remarked, Jason, I think Dwayne learned more, paid a little better attention and learned more in kindergarten than you did. His coloring is, is much better than Dwayne without missing a beat. Spoke up and said, I was supposed to. I was in there two years. <laughs> oh, man. And I heard that, and I knew that was funny right when I heard it. And my mind immediately went to, when I was a kid, I used to read Reader's Digest. I'm not sure how normal that is, but I did, and I really enjoyed it. And there was a section of really, the part I liked the most was the reader's uh, entries in Reader's Digest, where they would send in stories. And I always thought that would be such a good story to send in, because I remembered at the end of that section, after all the readers submitted stories, there was in italics this instructions about how you would send a story in. And if it was accepted, they would give you $400. My story never made it in. I never, ever got the money. But words do matter. Sometimes they can mean getting a cat, $400, or even much more. It's the great theologian Albus Dumbledore who said, Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying injury. Indeed, words matter. In verse 15 in our text, Paul brings in Isaiah 50, 52. Isaiah 52, verse 7 be precise, when he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, those who bring good words. Now, this section of Romans, it really begins with chapter 9. And what we find here in chapter 10 is Paul lamenting. He's heartbroken over his fellow Jews. His his people and their willingness to, uh, to follow and to be formed by Jesus, their, their willingness to seek righteousness apart from the law and, and in Christ alone. Verse 4, look back at it. It says, For Christ 
is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus said it this way when he, when he said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So I ask you this morning, church, do you, do you know this? Do you know that there is nothing that you can do to make Jesus love you more or less? I mean, there are seminal moments in our lives. I believe that moment in sixth grade could have been for me. I, I've, I used to teach high school. I, I, I felt those moments that seemed like they stood out as really important moments, particularly when I was coaching middle school basketball. And these, these, these seventh graders were looking at me with expectation of uh, just wanting to be affirmed about basketball, yes, but even more than that about life and, and, and what they were imagining life was really about. These moments that, that matter, that are palpable. And that could have been one for me in sixth grade, but fortunately I had a lot of uh, help around me. I was loved. I knew it. My family and my church. Do you know, church? Do you know that we have everything that we need for life, for abundant life right now? And do you know that it's found in Christ alone? My buddy, Matt Pearson, who pastors the church at West Franklin, he likes to talk a lot about Jesus and he wishes he didn't have to, but he thinks it's wise to because his estimation is too many of us, me included sometimes, imagines our lives, our salvation, our how we are going to be ultimately okay to be wrapped up in, in Jesus and something else. Jesus and, well, good behavior. Jesus and being better than those, those people over there. Jesus and the right political ideology. Jesus and the right social standing or, or status. You, you, you fill in the blank. So I ask you, church, do we truly have this, this concept down? That righteousness comes through Christ alone. Or are we perhaps candidates this morning for Paul's teaching, for Paul's admonition here in Romans 10, just as his fellow travelers, the Jews, were in his estimation? It's in 1 Corinthians 15, another of Paul's chapters that, I, uh, that is incredible. There are so many of his writings that we could put on that pedestal. 1 Corinthians 15 certainly is amongst them, just as Romans 10 is. 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's um, magnus opus about the resurrection, really about the gospel itself, but how it is, it is not complete. It is nothing, in fact, without Christ risen from the dead. And he begins 1 Corinthians 15 in verses 1 and 2 with these words. Now, I want to make clear for you, other translations say, I want to remind you. Brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, 
on which you have taken your stand and, and by which you are being saved. There's a little help for my grappling with exactly what salvation looks like. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Church, Romans 10 is, um, it's telling us that we need to be reminded of the gospel. And it's reminding us of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel every day, really, or, or, or we are sadly prone to forget its completeness and, and, and we are prone to attach other things to it. See, we're reminded, we are reminded of the gospel by telling one another what the gospel is with words that matter. Let me take this a step further. It's not just words matter. Words we say matter. Words we say matter. The big shift here that Paul is is trying to communicate, that Paul is, is grappling with, that Paul is understanding, that Paul is lamenting, that has become a stumbling block for his fellow Jews. What he is describing is this shift of what righteousness or how righteousness comes about. And righteousness is quite simply that which we need to obtain, but you can't, but you can through Jesus. And righteousness is our standing with God being complete. There is nothing that breaks us. Sin does not any longer separate us from God. And it is only through Christ that this can happen. However, Paul's fellow Jews had long understood righteousness through the law. And it was a noble effort, one that they were never going to attain, as you probably know. And so Christ became the sacrifice. Christ became that which would allow righteousness in you and me. And Paul is yearning to get this message across to Paul's people. Verses three and four, he's describing this shift from righteousness through the law to righteousness through faith. And then in verse five, he goes further and let's, let's look at it again. It's worth looking at again. Look at verse five. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith, the righteousness that comes from faith, what does it do? It speaks. Speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it Say, what does it say? The message is near you, church, in your mouth and and in your heart. And this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Righteousness through the law. Moses wrote about that a whole lot. And Paul is alluding to it over and over again. These are the greatest hits from Deuteronomy in this chapter right here. Paul is not coming up with this on his own. He is taken from Deuteronomy 
to extract his point about how God is moving. Righteousness through faith is how God was moving at the time. In Christ alone. And this righteousness speaks. What does it speak? That the message of the gospel is near us. It's in your mouth, church. It's in your heart. Straight out of Deuteronomy 30, 14. And this, this message is new. It is, it's revolutionary. It's, it's a new proclamation. Things are changing. God is doing something new. Jesus has fulfilled the law and Paul is letting us know what that fulfillment looks like. Paul's letting us know what it sounds like. He's letting us know what it is. Words we speak matter. Look at 14 and 15 with me. How then, Paul asks, can can they call on him they have not believed in? And, and, And how can they believe without hearing about him? Words we speak matter. And and how can they hear without a preacher? Now, listen, I'm definitely trying to do this right here, right now, but this is not exclusive to me or those who fill this space or any space in any church throughout God's world. This is this is extended to you as well. We are the bearers of this good news. You are the preacher all week long. Hear this message for you. Verse 15. And how can they preach unless they are sent I will continue to say you are loved and sent and never alone so that as we all might hear it. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. For Paul, the gospel is everything. But you cannot, for Paul, and I hope for us, you cannot separate the message of the gospel from its proclamation because words we speak matter for Paul. The gospel is good news. It's good news told about it's good news proclaimed. And, and this is inseparable from its message. I don't know where I heard this, but I've, I've held on to it because I loved it because I found it to be true. I once was told that a story is not yet anything that happened to you. Anything we go through, any experience that we have is not yet a story until we tell someone about it. Until it's communicated. And I find that to be what Paul is telling us here. The gospel is not yet fully good news until it's shared. That's the argument he's making here. He's not setting the gospel aside as well. Here it is. And this is true. And it's just true. And I hope you get it. It'd be great if you get it. It's not abstract. It wasn't something that Jesus just did to do. Well, we're going to make it where somebody can know me. Oh, sorry. That's how I feel about that. It's not true to just be available. 
He longs for you. He wants relationship with you. This is what Paul is telling us. What is this message boiled down? What is it that we must be reminded of? We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And that message is so near us. It's in our mouth. It's in our heart. I told you this story before, but I'm going to remind you of it again. When I was a kid, I used to uh, play hide and seek with my brothers. And this was in the house that we lived in until we were 10. Until I was 10. My brother, we're not triplets. That was ridiculous. They're younger than me. Until I was 10. And we, it, it was a great house. It's still there. And it has the absolute scariest basement cellar that any house has ever, ever had. And you could get to the cellar through the kitchen. Yeah, the door was in the kitchen. But you could also get into the cellar through this outside door that was outside of the house. And listen, we just didn't do that. You didn't go in that door, okay? You really didn't go in the basement. I think something was down there, a lot of, a lot of mice, a lot of, a lot of dampness. But I don't think we stored anything down there. So it really, when we played hide-and-seek, it was an excellent place to hide in that door that you get in from the outside because, well, we didn't want to look there. My youngest brother, Barrett, Great dude. He's fine. He grew up, pastors of church in Wilmington, North Carolina. He's fine. But he did get inside that door one time when we were playing hide and seek. And it, it bared true. It was a really excellent place to hide because we didn't want to go find him there. I can't remember if I was it or Blake, but Barrett got behind that door and realized after a little while that he had found an excellent hiding place. And he thought to himself, man, they are never going to find me in here. And then a few more minutes went by and he was like, man, they are never going to find me in here. And then he realized that we were never going to find him in there. <laughs> so he cracked that door open. And he stuck his hand outside it. He grabbed the side of the bricks that were there. <sighs> Until we saw his hand. And we went and found him. People spend their entire lives searching for who God is and what God desires to do for us. Pining, hoping, wishing. They just want to be found. And here's Paul's message here. And this is so attainable, y'all. Jesus has done everything we need for life, for abundant life. He is so near you. He is not lost. So neither do you have to be.
Let's pray.